Psalm 49. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditations of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol, with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Selah. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Thank you, Devin. Well done. Good morning, Providence. This summer, we have been walking through Psalms 40 through 49. And as we've walked through these chapters, if we look at where the psalmist is at as he begins writing these psalms and writing through these various stories, he's not in a very good or very confident place. In the earliest psalms, the poet's soul is downcast as he struggles to believe and trust God. He's asking, where is my God? Where is he in my time of need as I'm suffering? What is God doing right now? In Psalm 44, this longing for the Lord to reveal himself was expressed than to the rest of the believers. In Psalm 45, we begin to see a change in the psalmist's demeanor. We see that he, he speaks of the return of the groom, that the God King coming to claim his church, uh, coming to, to swoon his love. In Psalm 46, we, it shows the great victory in the New Jerusalem descending in which God's people would be reunited with their lover, with their King for the rest of eternity. In Psalm 47, it glorified the throne of God, showing that we should both love and also revere our almighty God, exalting him for his great power and fearing him above anything else. 48 expresses wonderful celebration in the heart of God's people. In Psalm 49, we now see a very different psalmist from where we started at the beginning of the summer and the beginning of his psalm journey. Instead of the psalmist being anxious and wallowing in light of persecution, we now see him speaking boldly against those who may prosecute him, specifically the ungodly rich living ungodly lifestyles, who find their confidence in their incredible wealth. Our psalmist has been transformed by his theology and the pursuit of his heavenly king. 
after seeing and remembering the glory of his God, the psalmist now looks at his enemies and warns them of the glory and power of his God that their wealth cannot save them. And thus encourages believers that they need not fear the wealthy or the powerful. They need not fear persecution for their God has made a way for them. And as the psalmist declares in the first couple of verses in his introduction, this is a message that we all need to hear. This is wisdom for everyone. The psalmist declares that this is for all people, that this is for the high, the low, the rich, and the poor. This psalmist has wisdom, a riddle, and God's people are to understand it, receive it, digest it, and allow it to change their lives in this world. This is wisdom for everyone, especially God's own people. And so this is what the hope is for this morning as we gather together as a church, that Providence, we would know and believe that our wealth cannot pay the price of our redemption. Only Jesus can. And as a result of these truths, we will give up anything and everything that this world has to offer and exchange it for the glory that is to come in Christ. And so today we will walk through three different thoughts as we walk through this psalm as he uncovers his riddle, his proverb. And this is full of wisdom. This, this wisdom is, has not been attained by the rest of the world. So the three thoughts we're going to walk through are money can't buy eternity. Someday you will die and you can be remembered by God. And so as we walk through the first two thirds of this psalm, we're gonna see it's pretty bleak. There's not a lot of hope. It's not a very fun psalm to walk through. But as we get to the end of it, hopefully that'll bring us into a place of glorifying our God for everything that he has done. So Providence, would you pray with me? Abba Father, God, would you be exalted in our minds this morning? Father, that we would see all the things that this world might have to offer us. And God, we would count all of it as nothing in comparison to your glory and the future inheritance that we have in you. Father, would you show us the different ways that we cling to this world, the different ways that we long for worldly wealth and treasures. God, that you show us the ways that we, we live for the fame of this world that will not last. And Father, in light of those two truths, God, will we put things away and will we live our lives, God, uh, in, in servitude and sacrifice to you because of the future that you have prepared for us with you. Father, would you be with us this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Money can't buy eternity. We'll start with verse five. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? After declaring that we should listen to the psalmist's riddle and proverb, he begins with the question, why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity, the transgression, or the sins of those who cheat him is all around him. The psalmist is being cheated. Someone is taking advantage of him. Who? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in their abundant riches. The psalmist is being taken advantage of by wealthy people who find their hope and security in their finances and honor in their fortunes. People who instead of finding security and hope in God, one, believe that they are going to be okay and taken care of because of how much money is in their bank accounts, and two, believe that they are great in the eyes of man because they were smart enough to attain such riches. The psalmist then reveals his wisdom to us. Verse seven, it says, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. 
this psalm has particularly used the word ransom. That the psalmist recognizes the theology, the truth, that each of us has earned a debt that we cannot pay ourselves. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of our sin is death, separation from God for all of eternity. That because we have lived in sin, because we have rebelled against our God, the result of that is that we have incurred a debt that must be paid if we wish to experience life with God. So we think about the word ransom, if we think about that being a concept in our everyday, not our everyday lives, um, but in our world, uh, what ransom is, is like if someone were to come, they were to kidnap my wife, Rochelle, and they call me after a few days and they say, hey, we have your wife, and if you want her to live, we need $2.3 million uh, brought, dropped off at this location in three days. And if you do not drop off the cash that we want in three days, you, will, you can consider it that you will never see your wife ever again. That they have placed a ransom on my wife's life. Now, that would not be a very strategic thing for them to come to me or go to my wife because I work in ministry and she's a school teacher. And so there's much wiser people that they could go kidnap and have a ransom from. So I have confidence that will not happen to us. But all the same time, if they did that, I would do whatever it takes to take back my wife. Whatever that cost is, even though I don't make a lot, a lot of money, I would find out whatever loans I could get or gain help from other people to be able to get whatever wealth is there because I want to be with my wife and I do not want for her to die. So whatever it is, I would count whatever treasures, whatever wealth, whatever finances I might have, and I would say, I'm gonna give up all of it because to have my wife, that is better. However, the psalmist is informing us that no cost no payment, nothing that we can do is sufficient to pay off the price of our ransoms. We cannot free ourselves and we cannot free anyone else. The ransom, the wages of our sin is death. The price for our sin is insurmountable. You can spend your entire life earning as much money as possible, but it would never be enough. If an eternity of separation from God is the punishment for our sin, if that is the cost, why would we ever believe that we could pay off God with our riches? If God is the creator of everyone and everything, why would we ever believe that we could give him enough money, which he has blessed us with and given to us? Why do we think that giving that back to him would be able to pay off the debt of our rebellion against him? Scripture expresses that our money may be able to purchase any material pleasure or desire here in this life, but our money cannot pay the ransom that is on our lives because of our sins. I shared this quote with our college ministry a few months ago, and it's from one of my favorite theologians, a Christian hip-hop artist named Holvey, and he says this, money might buy your spins, but money ain't ever gonna pay for your sins. As much as that is a really fun way to say that, it's true. That we can experience all these worldly things and we can experience all the pleasures that are here in this earth, but someday we are going to come before God and we are going to give an account of our lives and every single one of us is going to come to God and have to say, I have rebelled against you, I have not trusted you, and I have not loved you. I remember uh, Warren Buffett a few years ago, he gave like a million dollars to a nonprofit. And uh, the, one of the things he was saying afterwards was, man, if this is all I have to do, is all I have to do is be generous in order to get to heaven someday, it is a small cost to pay. If only he knew 
that the cost of heaven is far more than he would ever dare afford. That if Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, and Elon Musk pulled all of their money together, it would be nothing, it would do nothing to pay off the ransom of their lives. So Providence, we have to remember, we must remember, that we can do nothing to make ourselves right with God and settle this debt. We don't have the good deeds to pay off the debt. And specifically, this psalm is communicating to us that the giving up of our wealth or trying to pay off God will not be enough to pay off the debt of our souls. We are insufficient to do so. And further, the news doesn't get any less bleak. The psalmist tells us that this ransom is not just unpayable, but is also inescapable. Providence, the next thought, that someday you will die. Money can't buy eternity, and someday you will die. Read with me verse nine. As it continues the thoughts, it says that he should live on forever and never see the pit. No one can pay off the ransom to avoid seeing the pit. We can buy all the healthy stuff at Whole Foods. We can pay the top-notch dollars to receive the healthiest food that's out there. You can be disciplined with your working out and get up, work up a sweat every single day, and you can live a wholesome, healthy lifestyle, and maybe you'll live longer than the people next to you. But no matter how healthy you are or how much money you invest into it, someday your life is going to end. Someday you are going to die. As we live our lives as humans, if I, if I were to talk to anyone in this room and I said, hey, are you going to die someday? No one's going to deny that truth. No one's going to say, no, no, I'm going to live on this earth forever. Like none of us are illogical enough to come to that conclusion. But oftentimes we live our lives as if we don't truly believe that. That we live, even as Christians living for this world, living on this earth, we live as if, man, what I'm doing now, the way I'm investing in myself or thinking about my future, we don't live as if there's an eternity to come, but we think that this life might be all that we have and the way that we live our lives reflects it. That we might be earning our ways into, to try and earn treasures here in this world and we forget that this is such a small comparison to the eternity that is to come. Benjamin Franklin puts it, he knows this, the only guarantees that you have in this life are death and taxes. And the psalm continues to hammer it in that no matter what you do, whatever, however you live your life, whether you be wise or you be a fool, your life is going to come to an end someday. Read with me verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. No matter what you do, someday you are going to die. And therefore, we as Christians must keep our deaths in perspective. This is both sobering and bleak, but it is essential for us to remember that if we live our lives like if we live our lives like our lives is all that we have, we are going to make a terrible investment that is not going to turn out well. The world even recognizes this truth and they have their own ways of trying to cope with this reality that the rich and the powerful try to make this, they try to make their own mark on this world and we will see how it is still vain. Look at, look at the next few verses with me. Verse 11. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. 
This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Like sheep they are appointed for shield, death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in shield with no place to dwell. People of wealth, those who might be considered wise, will mark this world with their name hoping to eternally remain in the memory of men. Now, if they can't live forever, maybe they can make their mark on this world and thus they will live eternally in the minds of people. Whether they donate tons of money towards charities or education, whatever it might be, and maybe they get a name on a plaque or they leave their wills behind in generosity to their descendants, hoping their descendants will forever remember how kind they were and how wise they were and how they saved all of these things as an inheritance for their descendants. Or maybe they pay for immaculate graves to mark where their dead bodies rot in the ground. Maybe they try to do something notable, that they try to be one in a million, one in a billion people who'd make their way into our history books. At the end of the day, they are dead. And promise, I don't know about you, but I don't think it's going to matter much to me that if I, die, if I die someday, I will die, clarify, when I die someday, I don't think after I die, I'm going to be so concerned with who remembers me, but I'm going to be concerned that if there's eternity, I'm going to be much more concerned with where I am at. Now, there's good in leaving a legacy behind and wanting to impact future generations in the best way that you can. That is a good thing. But if your hope is being remembered after you pass from this world, my friends, it will be more, it will be so fleeting. Some of us here in this room might even struggle to remember the names of our grandparents. Some of us might really struggle to remember the names of our great-grandparents, and many of us, I'm sure, unless if you uh, unless if you're love your family tree and studying all of that, how many generations back can you go before you don't even know the people that eventually brought you into this world? What about their parents or their great-grandparents? Even if you're able to make that impact on history and do something great for humanity, I don't think that Thomas Edison, after even though he made the light bulb and that revolutionized so much of how we live our lives today, if he had never repented of his sins and he is living in eternity away from God, I don't think he cares that he made it into our history books. Friends, just like the animals of the field, as this psalm puts it, just like the animals of the field who are here one day and gone the next, someday you will die and you will have as many possessions as a cow or a chicken because you will be dead and gone from this world. Your name will eventually be forgotten and you will have to give an account for your life at the gates of heaven. This is inevitable that someday you will die and this world will die. This world will also pass away. So what then do we do? If the cost of our sin is a ransom that we cannot pay and someday we are going to die, which means that we are someday going to, have to face God and face, face this holy being who rules over the universe, who is righteous and perfect in every single way, if that is inevitable, what do we do? The psalmist reveals to us his hope. What gives him the boldness to declare this wisdom is that God will remember him. Look with me to just verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. The psalmist's hope is in the fact that God will pay for his ransom. 
Now, over, over the last two weeks, and I don't know if it's preparation for this psalm, but I've had four different conversations with young adults and, and, and college students where, they've, where we've talked about how did people get saved in the Old Testament? And the response in all four of those cases was, well, those people got saved by following the old law. But if we look at the book of Galatians, we see that that's clearly not true. That if we even look at the law, we see that everyone falls short, that every single person is guilty. And Paul says that if you think that you are going to be saved by the law, you have to keep every portion of the law perfectly, that you can never sin. Otherwise, you'll be condemned by the law that is trying to save you. The purpose of the old law was to show people their sins and to show them the fact that they were in need of a savior, that they were in need of someone to rescue them. In the same way that we look back and we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross, and that gives us hope. This psalm that was written about a thousand years before Jesus was born points to the same hope that we today have as Christians. That God is the only one who can make a way. That God is the only one who can pay for the ransom. He points to God being the one to atone for our sins and making us right again. And we look back at what Jesus did with that same complete hope. While that while people in the Old Testament look forward to the Messiah that was to come, we get to look back at what the Messiah did. They didn't know all the details. They didn't know how Jesus was going to come. When Jesus stepped on the scene, many of the Jews were confused because he was not what they expected. But if we look back to the old prophecies the old Test- in the Old Testament, the Jews knew that they needed to be saved and that they could not do it by themselves. They needed someone else to pay for the ransom because they could not pay for it. They could give up all of their wealth. It would not be enough to pay for their sins. They could do their best to try and follow the Old Testament laws, but they would never be good enough and they would always fall short. They knew that they would die and they would have to face judgment for their sins because they did not keep the law. They could not keep the law. So they needed a way out. They needed someone to come in and save them. And so they longed and they trusted in the promises of the Old Testament prophets. They look forward to the hope that you and I get to look back at. We as Christians are saved not by our charity, not by our good deeds, not by trying to keep God's law, but by placing our faith in Jesus alone. The one who would come down to earth, who would live a perfect life, who would never sin, who would never fall short, who would never owe a ransom, And he would die in our place, that he would bring back the dead to life, that he would willingly go to the cross, that he would suffer a death that he did not deserve. And then he would resurrect from the dead on the third day, that he would pay the price of our sins, that he would pay our ransom by unjustly going to the cross and dying for you so that you could die in your sin to him. And so that he would be resurrected so you could one day be resurrected with him onto eternal life. As I think through the psalm and I think about the New Testament and how we cling to the same promises, I could not help but think about 1 Peter chapter 1. And I think that as Peter was writing that psalm, as he's writing through that scripture, if I were to think through this psalm, if, this, if, if, if 1 Peter 1 had been written by Peter, I think he could say the exact same things. That psalm 49 could have been written by Peter if they had not been written a thousand years apart. And so I want to take some time to look through this chapter and to look to the hope that we have in Jesus. And so I'm going to read 1 Peter, a majority of chapter 1. Providence, let this sink into your soul as we walk through this psalm. It says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you may, must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not, though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice in the glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached it in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge you or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom, a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid by the precious blood of Jesus Christ of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose them as your ransom long before the world began. And now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins and you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And as the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Amen. So providence because of what Jesus has done in your life, because he has paid the ransom for your soul through his precious blood, you have hope. You have hope in Christ for the eternity to come. And so what we are called to do in these moments is not to live our lives for the here and now and to believe that this life is all that we have and to store up our treasures here on this earth, but to look as Peter commands us to, to, to look towards the future, the inheritance that is to come that will not fade like the treasures of this earth will. In light of that, the psalmist gives us his application in verses 16 through 20. Promise, because you have hope in Christ, be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry away nothing. His glory will not go down after him. 
For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. As Peter wrote, 1 Peter, he wrote that scripture to Christians who were being persecuted by the Romans. He wrote to Christians who were living in poverty, who had very little, who were being dominated by the rich people, by the people who were in power. In the same way that this psalm looks, the psalmist looks around and sees the rich and powerful persecuting him from all directions and cheating him. Someday the enemies of Christians will be no different than the animals of the field. But you, Providence, you will die someday and God, the author of life, will remember you and you will live eternally with him. So, do not invest your life living for the treasures of this world for they cannot pay the ransom of your debt because someday they will fade. But treasure Christ, the one who gave himself up as your ransom. Experts say that one of the worst financial investments that you can make is purchasing a brand new vehicle that the moment you drive it off the lot, you've already lost value and you've already lost some worth to it. And as you drive and you put miles on it over time and as you, you invest in, you even replace different parts on it, the car is inevitably someday going to be worth next to nothing. I, I've been driving a Mercury Mariner and uh, Wednesday I uh, was uh, driving on Dodge next to West Roads and a vehicle that was worth six or $7,000, transmission died um, while I'm driving in the middle of Dodge Street. And that car I get to sell tomorrow morning for a measly $500. It's worth nothing. Friends, do not make the same investment with your souls. Do not invest in this life like this is all you have and choose to live a life of luxury and pretending that this is everything, but live your lives in light of the future that someday God has paid your ransom and you get to be with him for the rest of eternity. Invest in a future that cannot fade, that will not disappear. The greatest investment you can make with your life is to remain to him as your Lord and Savior and living your life in a reflection of him until you are reunited with him in heaven. Providence, would you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, guys, I reflect on the psalm and think about the ones who are persecuting this psalmist. Father, I recognize the way that my heart is like theirs. God, that as I look at this world and I see the treasures that are available and the different things that I can cling to or prize or treasure, God, and how I continuously want more or want a larger salary, whatever it might be, God, I see that sin in my heart of trying to find my treasure here in this world. And Father, I also see in my heart the different ways of being in ministry and having opportunities to speak, God, how uh, I can receive glory for that and I can sometimes find my hope and affirmation from other people. Father, in whatever ways we might be sinning against you through this and how we treasure the things of this world and we forget about you, God, would you remind us of your glory and God, that you are greater and more sufficient than anything that this world has to offer. Father, we live our lives as if we're living for an audience of one. God, that we live for your fame and your glory, God, and that we treasure you above all else. Father, you remind us that the treasures of this world are someday going to fade. God, that at least within the next hundred years, what we own will not matter to us, but God, what we own in heaven, what we have with you is going to have eternal value and will never fade. And so Father, would you do a work in our hearts, God, that we would serve and live specifically for you and only you. And Father, would you help us to treasure the eternity come over this life, God, that we would give up our lives as if they are ransomed, Father, because you ransomed your life for us. 
Jesus, we love you. Would you continue to do work in our hearts? Amen.